Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Welcome to the online audience. Glad to see you here today. And it's uh, time for us to dive into God's Word. And I'd like for you to open your Bibles up to 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings 18 verse 19. And I'm continuing in this series called Impossible. Uh, and, and many of you received this a few weeks ago. This is a little card which has a lot of the scriptures on it that I'm basing this, this, uh, this series of, of messages on. I encourage you to take these. These are out there in the foyer. If you haven't had one yet, take this and begin to put these to memory because this is a powerful, powerful tool on helping you to um, overcome even impossibility thinking. But, uh, but you know, the, one of the things that seems to be impossible today is how do we convey God's truth? Conveying God's truth has become, uh, seems like it has become a near impossibility for Christians in today's culture. Our culture is, is, in, a, is in a, it's in a state of decay. And it's, it's good that we just recognize that and honestly talk about it. But a lot of times in today's culture, uh, Christians will be criticized and mocked and berated if they are, and people will even turn against you if you or when you begin to talk about the truth of God. That happens a lot. So, so, what ends up happening as a result of that is a lot of believers just simply become intimidated by the culture. And I'm not here to shame anyone who feels that way, but I'm going to give you some tools to deal with it because you might feel intimidated to even share your faith uh, because of, of fear. I, I just don't know what, I'm, what to say because nobody believes anything anymore. And, uh, and see, the problem is, is that truth has been twisted. And so we as believers, even as believers, we're struggling to overcome some of the cultural lies that are going on. And you, you might feel like, well, if I, don't, if, if I don't even understand it all, or if I don't have a good handle on apologetics, which is defending your faith, if, I don't, if I'm not educated enough to do that, then I can't really share uh, who, who Jesus is. I can't really share the truth of God. But see, I believe there is a key that a lot of believers are not utilizing that I believe in and I practice and I want you to practice it as well. So I'll be talking about that today. But to, to get us started, I want to talk about something in our culture that is highly controversial. All right. You guys want to hear some controversy? Okay. Yeah, this is good. But this is controversy. And it's interesting because it shouldn't be controversy within the church. But in many churches, it has become controversy because of people's definition of truth, how it just keeps shifting and changing. There are a lot of pastors who won't even address this anymore because they have a fear that somebody might disagree with them or, or try to argue with them. And, and it simply has to do with the faulty logic of abortion. And really what abortion is, is nothing more than the ancient demonic rites that were performed by the idol worshipers of Molech and Baal and Astra. And, and that's, that's part of what they did and it continues in today's culture. It's actually very demonic. But see, there's a faulty, and most people know, believe, a lot of believers know that, but see, there's a faulty logic behind it. And I want to talk to, talk to you about that for just a moment. It's, the faulty logic is this, is that... It says, the culture says people should choose whether their unborn child should live or die. And it's even built into uh, the legal system. But there, 
there's some weirdness associated with it as well because the legal system can't even really agree with itself because it's built upon a lie. For example, in Minnesota, there's a 1986 uh, law that, that was passed that says this, is that the killing, it says uh, the killing of an unborn child, and they call it in their law, an unborn child at any stage in the pre, uh, prenatal development is considered murder or manslaughter. Did you know that's a law in the state of Minnesota? And, and, and it's actually a felony to cause the death of an unborn child. And those are the words they use, an unborn child. It's a felony to cause the death of an unborn child while you are performing a felony. So let's say I break into your house in Minnesota. I'm not going to do that. You don't live in Minnesota anyway. Thank God we don't live in Minnesota. We'd still be scooping snow right now if we lived in Minnesota. But, but, uh, but let's say I break into your house in Minnesota and I'm stealing some stuff and, and there's some woman there and I punch her in the gut and, and she loses her baby. Well, I, I could be accused of literally a, a felony. It could even be first degree murder. Murder and manslaughter is actually part of what they, they, they have built into this. And it's, uh, this, this is commonly known as Minnesota's fetal, uh, fetal homicide law. And I think that's actually a good law. But it's interesting because Minnesota is also one of the 12 states in our union where abortion has what they call expanded accessibility, which means you can do pretty much whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, if you want to uh, murder your own child. And uh, the Minnesota Tribune, it stated it very well. This is, this is a, actually in the, in the news. It says, talking about the fetal homicide law, it says it makes it murder to kill an embryo or a fetus intentionally, except in cases of abortion. So logically to think through this, what is the difference? Well, the difference is the choice of the mother. If the mother chooses that she wants her child to live, then it is murder for that child to be killed. But if the mother chooses for her child to not live, then it's not murder anymore. So you see how the logic is actually twisted. It's, it's actually the will of the strong overpowering the will of the weak and ignoring the laws of God and the truth of God, and which is actually anarchy. It's, uh, it's, it's rebellion against uh, objective truth. It's rebellion against God himself. It's all about our will. It's about what we want so that we can become God ourselves. If I want my kid to live, he's going to live. If I, I want my child to die, I will kill my child. That's actually what it is. And we have to put it that way because that's the truth. So What's happened here in our culture, abortion is just one of the examples of this. Abortion is one of those examples of how truth is relative to the individual situation. All right, so what is truth? I'm glad you asked me that because that was actually asked to Jesus right before he was, uh, he was to be crucified. And you know, Pilate said, well, what is truth? So let, let's take a look at that. So I'm entitled to today's message, Standing on Truth. We're going to talk about what truth really is and how to begin to convey that truth. Uh, now, let me just make it explicitly clear. I do believe in absolute truth the way the Bible 
describes it, what it teaches. There's, I, uh, there's in my, I, I just simply believe there's not your truth or my truth or whatever. There's absolute truth, and that absolute truth is there whether we like it or not. For example, absolute truth is this. If, if, I, if I have turned the burner on on my stove, on, my, on the, the stovetop, and I'm going to cook some stuff, absolute truth says if I put my hand on that, it's going to burn, you see? And, and, uh, but so there is no difference. It is, it is absolute truth. So tr- whether I like it or not, it's like, but I want to put my hand there. Well, if you put your hand there, it's going to be burned. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? So truth is true whether you like it or not or whether other people around you like it or not. See, the universe, it's not a democracy. It, it really isn't. <laughs> Let's just make it clear. The universe is actually what we call an absolute monarchy ruled by God. And God is truth. And what God says is truth. We don't get to decide what is truth and what's not because it's actually out of our hands. Now, in this, in this series of sermons that uh, I, I've, I'm entitled Impossible with a question mark, like, impossible? Come on. So I, I've, been, I've been talking about how really nothing is impossible with God. And you guys have, have heard me talk about that. I'm going to keep talking about that over the next few weeks. But there is one impossibility. And here it is. It is impossible for God to lie. That is a scriptural impossibility. He cannot lie. God is the embodiment of truth. And he sent his son into this world. And Jesus said also, when you've seen me, you've seen the father, which means that that it's impossible for Jesus to lie. In fact, Jesus is the personification. Jesus literally is truth in the flesh. In fact, I've given you several scriptures. Go ahead and move to that next slide. I've given you several scriptures there. If you want to look that up, if you don't, you know, take a picture of that, you can look those up later. But Jesus is the personification of truth. The Bible says over and over and over, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But see, Jesus, when he left, he also sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. Well, do you know what the Holy Spirit is called? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, John 14, 17. So when you and I receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us and we are carriers of the Holy Spirit, which also means we are carriers of truth. We're carrying the truth with us. And this not only helps to prevent us from lying because the Holy Spirit's not gonna lie. God cannot lie. And if God lives in us, we're not gonna be lying. It also means that we're going to be speaking and we're going to be living out the truth of God and God's word. So let me make this clear. God is true. God is truth, but Satan is the liar. Really clear here. You see, we do have these two cosmic forces in the universe of truth and lying, God and Satan, and they are diametrically opposed. See, when when Satan is influencing, he's using lies, and these lies, they abound and they perpetuate. We see it in our culture. Uh, People, individuals lie, and 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 then the the culture also begins to propagate lies itself. So John 8.44 says this. It says, the devil does not stand in the truth because there is no 
truth in him. You see that? There's no truth in him. He is a liar and he is the father of lies. So the vast majority in the activity of this lying spirit is, is kind of couched in this argument that, that, uh, that sometimes the, the enemy will even use a measure of truth and then mix in lies with it to where you can't even tell what's true and what's not. In fact, most lies, most lies have an element of truth in them somewhere. And that's actually how Satan operates. Satan's number one temptation since the Garden of Eden was to make us to be, that we could be like God and we could, we could do what we wanted to do and we can believe what we want to believe. And this is actually where the whole thing of relative truth comes in. And uh, that, that's where Satan says, you're not really going to die. So, so there's the doubt that's swept into that, you see? So that's, a, that's again, that's, that's what Satan continues to do in our culture today. And this whole, whole thing of relative truth, it, uh, it dominates our discussion of abortion and so many other issues in our culture. And abortion is just one of those examples. But see, what we're told by the culture, what we're told by in American culture today is truth is relative. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. When I say relative, it doesn't mean that it's your cousin or your aunt or your uncle or your grandson, all right? Truth is relative. It, basically what that means is that the culture says that truth changes depending on the circumstances and depending upon a person's background. So, so the culture says you can have your truth and I can have my truth, but my truth may not be your truth. And, and that's just the way it goes because we have different experiences in life. And, and at first, at first glance of that, I think, well, that sounds kind of liberating. That sounds good. But that's exactly what the father of lies did in the garden of Eden. Oh, well, here's your truth. You need to do this. God might have his truth, but your truth is you can eat of this and you're not going to die. A, a lot of times in our culture, we call this tolerance, which blurs the lines and the boundaries between what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. So uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the terminology of today's culture of tolerance, it's like, well, I have to accept your truth. But again, you don't have to accept my truth because my truth is based upon the word of God, which is absolute truth. So that's part of the conflict that a lot of us as believers are dealing with. And, and I'll just say, you know, we do not need to update our version of truth. God's truths are never changing. God is never changing. And so I want to challenge you to resist the temptation to alter or to reinterpret the never changing truths of God. And, and so I, I say all of this right up front so that you can understand the argument about truth that's going on, the argument about relative truth. And, and bottom line, if, if we're going to understand truth, one of the things we need to do is to be in God's word, to, to know, to read, and to understand the word of God. So what I'm, what I'm saying today is all based upon this one line right up here. It's this, stand on truth, believe, receive, and release God's power. I'll say it again. Stand on truth, believe, receive, and release God's power. Now, at first glance, you might say, what do the two of those things have to do with each other? Well, a lot. See, I believe that the scriptures convey the very best method to stand on truth, and that is to, to believe, to receive, and to release the power of God. That's actually how Jesus did his ministry. Uh, he believed, he received, and he released the power of God. Jesus' ministry started off by doing miracles wherever he went. In fact, when he was planning to do a, a tour of several cities and to, and to go preaching in several cities, he sent his disciples ahead of him, and what were they supposed 
supposed to do? They, were suppo- they had already believed and received, and then they are now supposed to go and release the power of God through prayer. And that opened the door for Jesus to come in and share what? Truth. There is something that can open a person's heart up to truth, and that is when we begin to believe, receive, and release the power of God. Now, to, to illustrate this, I'm going to go to our foundational scripture in the book of Elijah, in, not in the book of Elijah, there is no such book, uh, Elijah. We're going to talk about the prophet Elijah. I just said something that wasn't truth right there, but I corrected myself. So the, we're going to talk about one of the better known narratives. In the, I think Elijah should have his own book. I, that's my opinion, but I guess that's, it really doesn't matter. But this is one of the better known narratives that's in the Bible. A lot of Christians learned this narrative when they were children. And it's a, it's a story of the showdown that we find at Mount Carmel. This is between Elijah and hundreds of these pagan priests of Asherah and Baal. And, uh, and these, were also, these were demon gods, basically, that these, these, these priests performed rituals for. The rituals were all types of rituals. They included child sacrifice. They included cross-dressing. They include, included sexual rites. A lot of the stuff that's still active in our culture today, it's, it's just demons keep, keep uh, changing the way that they present it, all right? But see, this was a big showdown that was happening. And you might say, well, things in America are tough. Oh, they are not nearly as tough as they were for Elijah in Israel in the passage we're about to read. I'm telling you nothing like it. See, the worship of Jehovah God was outlawed. It was outlawed by the king of Israel and his name was Ahab. Now, why did he do this? Why did he outlaw the worship of God? It was illegal to worship God. Well, he did this because that's what his pagan wife Jezebel wanted. See, she didn't believe in God's truth. And so what she did is she manipulated her husband to outlaw the worship of Jehovah God and to go so far as to execute the preachers and the prophets and all of that. So what God did is God sent this drought to Israel to wake up King Ahab. And, and, and God delivered the message about the drought through the prophet Elijah and there is no book of the Bible named after him. So what he did is he came to, to Ahab, the king came to the king, and he declared to, to Ahab, there will be no rain until I ask God to send the rain. And he left. It was smart that he left really quick at that point. So what happened there is for over three years, God judged Israel with this famine, with this drought, and and this made Ahab and Jezebel livid. They wanted to kill him. Uh, And and so he had to flee outside of of the area of, of Israel just to stay away from them. And, and so he did. There's a lot of cool stories that go along with that. You can read about it in First Kings 16 and, and 17. But, but finally, after three years, a little after three years, God spoke to Ahab. Uh, God spoke to Elijah and said, now I want you to go to Ahab and you're going to tell him that the drought is going to be broken. So but before, God, before this was going to happen, before he would pray to ask God to open up the heavens, Elijah decided that he wanted to, to do a little of a challenge. 
I kind of like this. This is gutsy here. And, and there's nowhere in the Bible where it says God told him to do this. I mean, maybe God spoke to his heart to do this, but he just did this. And I love his gutsy challenge that he did here. So he said, I want us to assemble all of these pagan priests of Baal and Ashtoreth. And, and we're going to assemble them with this huge audience of spectators. Bring as many people out as we can. And we're going to have a showdown to see which God is the true God and which God is the God of truth. And may the God of truth answer with fire. So now if you look down in 1 Kings chapter number 18, verse 19, I want to read you through this, this narrative here. It says, so Ahab sent orders among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long are you going to struggle with two choices? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him so much as a word. Again, they're believing in relative truth, all right? He's just saying it's black and white, just like it is in our culture, except we're not killing all the preachers. Yeah, because I'm, I'm still here, all right? And, and our faith is not outlawed. So, so it says, says, Elijah said to the people, I alone am left as a prophet of the Lord, while Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, have them give us two oxen, have them choose one ox for themselves, they get to choose, and cut it up. Place the wood under it and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood. And I will not put fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, he is the God. All the people exclaimed, hey, that's a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose the one ox for yourselves, prepare it first since there are many of you and call on the name of your lowercase God and put no fire under the ox. And they took the ox, which was given them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, I, I love their prayer here. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. There was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar which they had made. At noon, Elijah ridiculed them. <laughs> this guy was gutsy, all right? He says, hey, call out with a loud voice since he's a god. Undoubtedly, he's attending to business. He's, he, he's on the way or, or he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep and perhaps will awaken. So they cried out in a loud voice and they cut themselves according to their custom which was one of their, their religious rites for this demon worship, with swords and lances until blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered. So they had done this all along, all right? No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come forward to me. So all the people came forward to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. So there was an altar for God, which, which was destroyed earlier because worship of God was made illegal. So he rebuilt this thing in front of them. And it says, Elijah took 12 stones, corresponding to the numbers of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the Lord, word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel should be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. And he laid out the wood and he cut the ox in pieces and placed it on the wood. And he said, fill 
four large jars with water. Now, that would have not been like a mason jar. This would have been huge, giant containers of water, all right? Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. So they did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. So they did it a third time. And water flowed around the altar and filled the trench with water. Then at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet announced and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people may know that you, Lord, are God and that you have turned their, and that you have turned their heart back. And then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering with wood, the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Verse 39 is the clincher. It says, when all the people saw this, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So the onlookers, I want you to see this. We, we sometimes just look at the miracle and say, oh, what a nice miracle. But catch this. The onlookers, they declared truth from their lips because Elijah believed, he received, and he released God's power through prayer. And this is the pattern, again, that we see all through the Bible, Old and New Testament. In fact, just a few months prior to this happening, Elijah was bunking in the house of this, this, uh, this widow woman, and she was, he was there hiding from King Ahab just outside of the area of Israel, and this widow woman, her son had died. And what Elijah did is he came and he performed this miracle, raised her son back from the dead. Again, he believed, received, and released God's power. And what was the result? Well, actually, 1 Kings 8, uh, 17, 24 says this. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is what? Truth. See, her eyes were opened to truth but the prophet had lived there for quite some time already, possibly up to two years. So she didn't receive truth based upon Elijah's lectures. I mean, she should have, but she didn't. She received and embraced truth through a demonstration of God's power. That's why I say stand on truth, believe, receive, and release God's power that's resident in you. Now, I, I like it because when Elijah did this at, at Mount Carmel, he just simply let God show off, <laughs> and God did. God confirmed his truth, and the people believed, and he used the power that was available to him, which is the power of God, the Spirit of God, which was upon him, which is the Spirit of truth. And so what happened again? The people of Israel, they sought, they proclaimed truth, they glorified the God of truth. Now, in today's world... <laughs> We want to be agents of truth, don't we? And I, I, I desire that. I want that. But we do live in an intimidating culture. Let's just admit it. It is very intimidating. Uh, but you can be an agent of truth. Oh, you just have to do this. Believe, receive, and release God's power. It opens the door for people to see and to declare the truth of God. You know, I, I know that, it, well, you say, well, yeah, but that was Elijah. You're, you're talking about this man who is just a superhero. And, and, but please know this. Elijah was a man just like you and me. 
you can't doubt that because God's word is true and God's word states that. See, because your prayers can create miracles, can initiate miracles under the power of God, just like Elijah. In fact, in James chapter five, verses 16 through 18, it tells us that when we pray, church, when we pray, our prayers will accomplish amazing things. And it says, just like Elijah, that scripture there, it says, it tells us that, that Elijah had a nature. That means he was He had a nature just like us, just like you, just like me, but he prayed earnestly for it to not rain and it didn't rain. And and so again, for three and a half years, it literally didn't rain. And then he prayed again and it rained and rain poured from the sky. There was an abundance of rain. And then the people believed in God's truth. They believed in the God of truth. So let's go back to look at this. Is there really a difference between Elijah and us? Well, only if we don't believe, receive, and release God's power through the power of prayer. Elijah was not superhuman. He's an example to us of what is really, really attainable to believers through the power of God. And and truth be told, we are all ordinary believers, but, but if, if we as ordinary believers choose to be sold out to God, we can then look to people like Elijah and we can then be positioned to, to live out extraordinary lives in the face of the culture displaying the extraordinary God of truth. And it can happen in the simple strides of life, in the simple paces of life. You don't necessarily have to set yourself up to go do something special. It, it just happens in the ordinary circumstances of life. Uh, last week, one morning early, probably around 8 a.m. or so, I was working in my office across the street, and I heard this loud crash. Now, this is crash. And my brain was trying to figure out what this is instantly because it was loud. Now, please understand, Texas Street right over here is a loud street. Whether you know it or not, during the week, it is loud, constant noise. A fire engine's coming and going and noise and ah, ah. but but uh, but I heard this loud crash and in my brain it sounded like one of those trash trucks that had picked up a dumpster and lifted it about fifteen feet in the air and just dropped it and that's what I thought happened. It's like some trash truck just like had their had a dumpster way up and they just dropped it and like oh my word and I could hear it just it was right outside the, the window of my office so I, I get up and I look. And what I see, though, is a truck, a pickup truck that had rammed itself in nose first into a utility pole right over here. And this is just, that was literally 10 yards from my office. Uh, so I grabbed my phone, go running out there, and, and uh, a few other people from other offices and stuff, then people stopped on the road to kind of see what's going on. It's interesting because in those settings, like, there were a lot of onlookers, people just standing there, just looking. I was like, well, I'm the only guy who's doing anything. I don't know, but I'm going to do something. So, so I, yeah, I, I get there to the, to, the, uh, to the car, to the truck, and, and, uh, and the lady inside, I could hear her. She was just saying, help. You know, that, that, the, the truck was full of that, that, that powder that's inside of those airbags. And, uh, and it, it, was, you know, it was even hard to see in there, and I could hear her just saying, help, help me, help me, help me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to help you. And I... Like, okay, the door is actually going to open, kind of. But, yeah, you know, I decided I'm, I'm going to open this door. You know, I, 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 I did that. And, and I, this is before actually the other people had even come around, so I didn't get to show off in front of anybody. But, 
but, but I, I, I opened the door and, and man, it was that, that dust was coming out and I, I was coughing that stuff up for another day or so. It's just kind of, it's some nasty stuff. But she just kept laying there saying, help me, help me. And I looked, she didn't have a seatbelt on. Uh, and, and she had to be going at a decent rate of speed on this little road right here for, for that to happen. Not quite sure why it happened or how it happened. Maybe she was blinded by the sunrise, which would be easy to do on Texas Street early in the morning. But she, uh, she was just crying for help. And, and, and I just started, I opened the door and I started asking, okay, where do you hurt? Where, where's the pain? She started telling me different places on her body where she felt pain. And then she started saying, I didn't take my blood pressure medicine this morning. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and she was just frantic. And I just said, okay, uh, can you move your legs? I said, yeah. So she moves her legs and I said, okay, let's pull, kind of pull in her here and, and thinking, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a paramedic, but I'm, I'm going to help her get out of this car. And so I, I helped her get out and, uh, and, and then getting her out, um, take her and taking her over to a place where she could sit down and she just kept saying, I'm in pain and this hurts and that hurts. And my blood pressure is going to go, is going crazy. And I, I just said, Here's what I did. I said, I'm a Christian. I didn't say, well, I am the pastor of the church right next door to you, and there's a supernatural anointing on me because I'm better than other Christians, which isn't true. I mean, it is true that I'm a pastor, but I just said, I'm a Christian. Can I, can I pray for you? And she said, well, yes. <laughs> so I take her by her hands. I pray for her, put my hand on her shoulder, and I pray for her. I'm not quite sure what I, exactly I prayed, I'm, but whatever I prayed, it worked. No joke. As soon as this prayer was finished, this woman, she brightened up. And as soon as she was finishing her, her prayer, I noticed that the paramedics from half a block away were running across the street. I mean, here came two, and then came four, and then came ten. I mean, they're like, she, I just said, Man, you've got, you've got more paramedics coming to you than anybody gets anywhere all the time. You are, you are the winner today, and they're going to take good care of you. And, and she said, I just feel so good. Listen, she said, my pain is gone. And then she, she said, I now believe that God really loves me. I don't know her situation. I don't know her circumstances. Don't know much about her at all. I stayed there and helped contact her, uh, her daughter and her ex-husband over the phone and trying to get them to, aware of what was going on. Paramedics over there, they, they immediately go and start taking her blood pressure. And, uh, and but at this point, I mean, there are like four cop cars. Is, is, if you're going to have trouble, downtown Fort Worth is the best place to do it. All right, or leave it right here. Because all these paramedics and cops, I mean, there were probably about 30 people out there trying to deal with this situation. And, and, uh, and so the, the paramedic comes and starts taking her blood pressure. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope this, this isn't crazy. And I listened to the numbers, and I thought, man, her blood pressure is like mine on a calm day. I, I, how did that happen? I didn't say anything, but I just like, this is another testimony. And I, I said, did you hear those numbers? She said, yes. I said, so your blood pressure is fine. And... She totally calmed down. They put her on the stretcher and took her, uh, took her to the hospital. Her, her daughter texted me several times that day just saying, thank you so much. I'm so glad my mom encountered you when this happened. And I said, well, you know what? It's, it's just, I'm just being a Christian. I, I'm 
doing what Christians do. And church, we need to do what Christians do. We have a power that's in us, which is the power of God, the power of prayer, which releases miracles, which helps other people to say, okay, I believe now. I believe now. And maybe God designed that whole situation so that she could wake up to truth that she was loved. Church, one thing that I've seen, I've seen this in a general sense. It's generally speaking, people and churches who believe in and who practice the power of God rarely struggle with truth. That's why I want to say stand on truth. Believe, receive, release God's power. I mean, are you willing? If you want to make a difference in your world, on, on your cultural streets, and what we got to do is take corrective action now so that we are ready and we're prepared so God can use you as you believe, receive, and release God's power. I told you about this last week, one of the things that, that I'm honored to do, and I don't, I don't really prop up the thing of being honored to do it, but it's, it is a privilege, but, but I see it as, as something that's, that's very important for our city is, is I was invited by the mayor and city council to, to uh, pray over them as, uh, at their swearing-in ceremony on last uh, Monday or Tuesday evening. So I, I, I went in and they called on me and, and I went and prayed the prayer and you guys know I'm not going to pray baby prayers. I'm going to pray. I, I just like, Holy Spirit, fill this place. Holy Spirit, bless this one. I started calling out their names. Pour out your spirit on this one, this one. Yeah, some of them need a lot of Holy Spirit poured out on them. But you know, that's, that's for God. That's for God to handle. But I start speaking it and declaring it over them and, and speaking it over that room like you're welcome in this place. May this be, I start declaring things that are in the Bible about our city, over our city. And, and uh, I don't know how that's going to fall, but I know that it's what I want. That's what God put on my heart to do. As soon as I finished the, the, the prayer, Jesus' name, amen. I don't, I don't have trouble saying his name. Jesus' name, amen. And the mayor looked up and put, had a big smile, gave me two thumbs up. And so, you know, I went and did my thing. Later that day and into the next day, I received from six different city council members private messages saying, you have no idea how much that prayer meant to us and means to our city. We stand with you. We stand in agreement with you. And, and we believe that's, 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 where, that's what God wants for us. So what I did as a pastor, is I, in that case, I used my role, I used my position as a pastor to invocate, to, to invoke the presence of God into a setting. And I don't know exactly what God may do or what God or what the enemy had planned to do in that meeting. But I tell you what, when I called down the presence of God, I could, I could feel it in the room. But it's not about me. Church, we all have that authority. We all have that power. We are all normal people. Elijah was just a normal man just like us. And God wants to transform you. God wants to empower you to make Jesus known. Jesus is truth. 
And that truth will transform lives. It'll transform your life. It'll transform your home. It'll transform the way that you interact with the community. I tell you what, that, that Jesus Christ and the, and the Holy Spirit is the open door for the supernatural. And then nothing, 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 nothing becomes impossible with God. This is when we begin doing this. People's lives are going to be changed. The culture will see and they will know that the God of truth is among them. See, truth becomes obvious when God's power and God's presence is displayed, just like the people at Mount Carmel, just like the widow woman. They will say, now I know that the truth is in you. The truth is on you, that God is truth. God is a God of miracles. He's a God of miracles for you. He's a God of miracles for your family. And God wants you to release his miracle power into the culture around you. Truth says this, step out of your comfort zone. The liar, he says this, he goes, nah, you failed in your life. It's hopeless. Doesn't he? Truth says, don't be afraid. But the liar says, well, your Christian beliefs are actually holding you back. Truth says this, I've got you. But the liar says, if you try to release God's power, you're going to fail. Truth says this, you are my ambassador into the world. While the liar mocks you for, you, for who, what you stand for and mocks your faith. But I don't care what the liar says. Because Jesus Christ is truth, Satan is lie. So stand on truth, believe, receive, and release the power of God. And, and I, want you, I want you to leave here a different person. I want you to leave here an empowered person, a person who believes, receives, and releases the power of God. First of all, you gotta believe. You gotta believe. This doesn't work without believing. So really, with nobody looking around right now, I, I want you to lock yourself in with God. Are you a Christian? Are you in relationship with God? Are you right with God? So if you were to die today, would you spend eternity in heaven? If you were to crash into a utility pole on your way home and lose your life, would you be with God in heaven? And if you don't know that, I want you to believe and then confess it with your lips that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the spirit of truth. And what happens then, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. That's the first step is to believe. So if that's you this morning and you need to re receive Christ before we go any further, at the count of three, I'm going to have you lift your hand so that I can see it. And then I and others in this room, we're going to have faith. We're going to believe God with you. We're going to pray together. And you have the opportunity to receive Christ into your life through simply belief. So let's take the first step on this. Who, who just says, I need Jesus. I need my sin forgiven. I want to be a Christian. Lift your hand high. One, two, three. Lift it high. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Since you lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words with me. Church, pray this as well as an encouragement to people around you. Come on, pray these words. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to wash me of my iniquity, and make me a new creation. Let the old be gone. I choose to turn away from it to pursue you 
and to pursue your ways. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm saved. Amen. 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 You know, that's, that's the best thing that can happen today right there. But the second thing is to also receive. You see, when, when the disciples came at, right after the resurrection, the disciples were with Jesus. Jesus came to them, and, and they, they received salvation. Jesus breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. But later on, they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And so that's... You know, believing, when you believe, the spirit of truth comes to live in you. But what we also want to operate in is a fullness of the Holy Spirit. So it's important that we ask God for a fullness of his spirit. And I'm going to ask that we do that right now all across this room. I want you just to lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, just lift your hands to the Lord and just say, God, God, fill me with your spirit. Flood me with your spirit. I don't want just a little measure of the Holy Spirit. I want much. God, I want your glory. I want your life. Fill me up with your presence. Fill me up with your spirit. Let your spirit flow out of me. And and I pray that, that, that you will work mighty miracles through me, that you will do amazing things through me in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In fact, will all of you stand with me right now? Just stand with me all across the room right now. I want you just to, to just direct your eyes toward heaven, whether, it's, whether you close your eyes or open your eyes. But Jesus, when he prayed, he lifted up his eyes toward the heavens. And, uh, and I want you just to begin praying right now. I want you to pray. Pray this. Come on, Holy Spirit, flood my life. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, I want more of you. God, I want your power. God, I, I, I want your, 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 your love and your power to flood me so that I will not be afraid, so that I will be bold in my prayers, so that I will be a man or woman of God in the culture, so that I will be able to, to convey your truth, to speak your truth, and to display your truth. Come on, just pray. Come on, just pray with your own words. God, Fill me, flood me. I need that, God. I need that. I want that. I don't want to remain the same that I am today in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And God, right now, I pray for a boldness in everybody to receive, to release God's power. In fact, you know what? If that's what you want, just lift your hands, one hand or both hands up if you're able to. Come on, just lift your hands up because I want to pray for you. God, I pray for every person in this room to be agents of the release of God's power. Boldness, boldness to release God's power. Boldness to pray with the sick, boldness to confess your name, boldness to smile and say God loves you, boldness to, act, to, to pray and expect miracles when it seems impossible. God, do miracles through us, God. Let us be your agents. Let us be your ambassadors. Let us, let the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth flow through us to work miracles so that others will see and know the truth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Church, I want you to look at me. I want you to believe and receive this. Be that agent in the culture. Yeah, I know we live in a decaying culture, but you are salt. You are light. You are life wherever you go and you change the atmosphere. You see, when you walk in this thing, when you walk into a room, the atmosphere will shift. It will. The atmosphere will shift. And that's what I'm encouraging you to walk in. And, that, and you don't have to be preaching at all. You just walk in and that atmosphere shifts. And there are opportunities all around you to release the glory, to release the presence of God that's inside of you. And I want you to let that out. Will you do that? Will you do that, church? Will you leave here with a changed heart and a changed attitude toward the things of God? Amen.
You know what I'd like to do before, as we get ready to go, I want you to receive this blessing that I'm going to speak over you, and I want you to take it, receive it, and walk out of here with this. And this is the ancient blessing that has been spoken over God's people since the times of Moses in the wilderness. And here it is. God bless you. God keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Now go and make Jesus known. God bless you. You guys have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.